teach us lessons and help us as we review what we've studied to learn those lessons well. We pray in Christ's name. There are at least three areas we're going to look at. The first area that we should really care about Israel's history, and if you think about it, not, you don't have to think about it too hard, they provide warnings for us to not follow after their example. And turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, if you will. They give us negative examples. And you see my note there, like when you took a clue from your sibling or your friend to not do the same stupid thing they did. I remember before they had mountain bikes and all that stuff, we had old banana seats with, you know, we wanted to have chopper handles. We made the mistake to think that you could actually jump ramps and go down hills and, and those bikes would stay together. No. I was the first to try this when I was about 12 or 13, living on Fort Meade, jumped some ramps and these two handles that were in separate sockets all of a sudden just broke right over the front when I landed and uh, I messed myself up pretty bad. My friend was pretty smart. He decided he was that, uh, that bit of foolishness. There's a lot of foolishness when we look back to the history of Israel, isn't there? There's a lot of things we looked at over the past several weeks that we should say we do not want to be any part of that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul's trying to speak to some people who also had some problems with sanctification, with not being sanctified. In verse 1 of chapter 10, he says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and they ate the same spiritual food, and they drank all the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in a wilderness. Now these things happened, as noted, examples for us that we should not. And there's a lot of nots here. The first thing is... We should not crave evil things. We should not crave evil things. I want to remind you that this portion was spoken to believers. These are not the people out there running headlong, you know, after everything Satan threw out there. But we all are tempted to these very same things, or else God wouldn't spend the time to talk about it in this passage. We're not to also be idolaters. And we talked about the numerous, numerous times that Israel fell into the cycle of idolatry, cycle of idolatry. They got caught up looking outside their covenant community into the world, and these things are attractive. We have to start with that honesty right there. These things appeal to our base self, whether it's pleasures or ease or things that feed our flesh. And we are tempted to those things. We're not to act immorally. Notice, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Another one. Nor let us try the Lord. What is trying the Lord? If you're a parent, you know what this is, right? You know, you have just told your kid... Not to do something, but 
they are now going to try to do it even if they can just skirt around the edges and not do it fully, but do it a little bit. And Israel tried the Lord. We look back to the history of Israel, not only in, in those, that period of the wandering, which we know was a big problem, but all throughout their history, God explicitly said, this is who I want you to be. This is where I want you to go. This is what I want you to receive from me. And the people were like, I think I want to go over here. Right in the face of being told something directly. Do not grumble. Nor grumble as some of the did and were destroyed by the destroyer. People murmuring, complaining, grumbling. I've told people in my group this is a point of conviction recently because things are not going well in the company I'm with right now. A lot of transition, a lot of things that are not pleasant right now. And it was convicting, you know, to say, hey, this is not supposed to be my attitude. It might not be pleasant, it might be difficult, but I need to bear up under it. I need to ask God, what are you trying to teach me through this, even though I don't enjoy it? Try to have a better attitude about it. Now notice verse 11 now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. See, when we look at the Old Testament, we should not look at these people as exceptional people. They're people of like flesh like we are. Different circumstances, different time, different place. But what they experienced is human. It's what we experience. And we need to look at these examples and say, what was God, why did, why did God put these really embarrassing things in the Bible for all time? Man, uh, you know, Years ago, there's a group that says, I want to be a man they write about. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't know if I want anybody to write about me, warts and all. But we have that. God reveals that. He puts David's failures in there. He puts the stubbornness. He puts the idolatry. He puts the hard hearts in there so that we can learn from them not to be these kind of, of things. One of the big problems I have with the health and wealth gospel is it is so far off. It diverges from sound doctrine. See, for instance, notice what we looked at here in the beginning of the chapter. These people had tremendous spiritual blessings, every last one of them. Everyone that applied the, the blood to the post and left out of Egypt, the picture is they, they were called. They were saved. They were rescued. But did they all complete the course? No, they didn't. We know that, right? Because they did not pursue, continue to pursue God. And so this last one is don't be proud in your position and blessings as if that means you're rightly relating to God. I've heard people say, well, you know, God must be blessing me. You know, my job's going good. I got money in my bank account. You know, I've got a great family. I've got... No, no. 
God blesses out of his sovereign choice. Everything is not caused and determined by you. Look at what Israel experienced by way of blessing. Look at what happened when we looked at Solomon in this wonderful, impactful, spiritual, holy, sacred experience of the, of the, uh, the dedication of that wonderful temple, that beautiful, beautiful thing. That did not inoculate Solomon from diving off the deep end into sin, did it? His past experiences were not a predictor of future outcomes. So blessings aren't always an indication that we're in a right relationship to God. We need to go back to the core issues of, do I tremble at his word? Am I broken and humble over my own sin? Do I, do I seek a route of repentance that issues forth in the fruit of repentance? And we have these wonderful examples of the good kings like Josiah, Hezekiah, these people that they, they experienced the word of God full in their face and they said, things have got to change and they've got to change now. We looked at what Nehemiah did when he came back and he found out that these people once again were intermarrying with the people outside of their fellowship and becoming a snare to them. He started going bare knuckle on them, if you remember. Because God is holy, and that's another lesson that we should have learned in a study of Israel's history. Well, it's not just negative. Turn to Romans chapter 15, and I'll make this this point that it's interesting in the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and in Romans chapter 15 that the immediate surrounding um, context has to do with Christian liberty. Meaning that God has set us free and there is freedom in Christ. There's freedom where the Spirit of God is. There's freedom. And there is meant to be freedom through our salvation so that we can go into a wicked world and not be tainted and stained by it. That we can go into places that are desperate and evil with the gospel, like many missionaries have gone into, and still keep ourselves holy. That we can live among one another and give each other grace and realize that some, some people's conscience may be able to handle certain things that yours can't, and we need to respect each other in those differences. Those are the immediate context of both 1 Corinthians 10 and Romans 15. But turn to Romans 15, chapter 15, verse 1. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach thee fell upon me. Notice verse 4. Here's our answer again. Remember? Let the Bible interpret itself. Compare Scripture with Scripture. It's a principle of interpretation. We ask the, ask the question in the beginning, why should the study of Israel's history make a difference to us? Well, here's the answer. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Number two, the Old Testament, the stories of Israel's history are there to instill hope through positive examples. There's not just the negative examples that we want to avoid, but there are positive examples. Godly people, we talk about Ezra, Nehemiah, 
Josiah, David, Ruth, Rahab. I mean, people that in the smallness of the decisions and the test that God put in front of them, they acted with bold obedience. And we need to find encouragement there. Verse 4, whatever was written in early times was written for instruction that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Israel had difficult, difficult tests, did they not? They had to go in, they had to conquer and settle land. They had to work out their disagreements. They had to work together. They had to obey God completely, and we know they didn't, and that was their the thing that plagued them for hundreds and hundreds of years of their history, they did not fully obey God. Yes, they wiped out a lot of these Canaanite tribes and kingdoms, but they left it a little bit to reroot itself. And it came back to haunt them. It was only a partial obedience. But at the same time, there's people that God raised up and they persevered. You know, God set aside one person, but he raised up another. Wicked kings went headlong after evil, but God raised up somebody, especially in, this, in the kingdom of Judah we saw, God raised up somebody who would reform and revitalize and repent. And there is this cycle that God is constantly coming back and he's giving people a chance. We need to be encouraged by that. Um, we talked about... What was it? What was the song? All the, all the weak and poor and powerless. Well, thank you. I knew it was two, two somethings. Poor and powerless. That's our next point. Uh, you know, stories. We have stories again and again of how God used the humble and the overlooked and the unnoticed. People many times that were even outside of the community of Israel. That God even had mercy. On Gentiles. Think about Rahab, we talked about. Think about Ruth, who was a Moabitess. The widow of Zarephath, who was there to, to encourage and, and nourish and saw miracles happen right under her roof because she gave shelter to Elijah. Even crazy as it sounds, kings like Nebuchadnezzar, who, after God humbled him, wrote down one of the most amazing statements of praise to Israel's God. That's part of that history. We saw Cyrus, that God providentially moved, and then later Darius. And these, these people just, they not only said, go obey your God. We're going to fund you to do it. And we see God moving the hearts of even people who are outside of Israel's community to bless them. We see people that were reluctant leaders like Gideon. We see people that are just humble shepherd boys like David. That God says, I'm going to put my favor on this one. He will be the shepherd to my people. These are people, we look at them as extraordinary. They were just normal people going about their business, but they, they had developed an ardency and a relationship toward God that found favor. That God said, I can, I can use that available vessel 
to move my plans forward. I think another amazing thing here is that we look at Israel's history. It's there to reveal and give evidence that God's heart always included the Gentiles in his redemptive plan. Let's keep reading here. It says, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Now, what was going on in the context of Rome? Well, just like in Corinthians, just like in other places, Rome was a mixed congregation. It had Jewish people that had come to faith in Christ, and it had Gentiles that had come to faith in Christ. And these were very different cultures. And they're trying to blend themselves into one new culture called the church. And yet, old experiences that were important to each, old history, old relationships, they had to somehow find a way to be knit together and to be at peace with one another. And you find in the New Testament, this is, this is a thing. And we, we know even as we study the Gospels, the disciples couldn't wrap their mind around, why are we going to Samaria? Those half-free people that basically compromised all the way those hundred years ago back during the exile. Those prejudices were hard to beat back. But we see that, for I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy as it is written, therefore I'll give praise to thee among the Gentiles, and I will sing to thy name. And again he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles hope. Is your Bible have all that capitalized? You know what that means? That means it's a quotation from the Old Testament. That over and over again, whether it's a general named Naaman that God heals, all over and over again, God is reaching the world. And he meant Israel to be the light, the beacon, the place that drew attention, like that temple when it was dedicated that all the nations would wonder and be amazed at the way God personally intervened in their affairs. And we know they so many times obscured that. They didn't let the light shine the way it should. But God's heart was that Israel would be this, this model of ardent and passionate worship that would draw and attract like the Queen of Sheba who came from long distance with lots of gifts just so she could hear from Solomon and find out what was going in this nation, this little nation that God had raised up and blessed. God's heart was always to reach out to the world. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God gave us the stories of the Old Testament because he wants us to have hope. 
if we can look back and see there were people who 7,000 of them did not bow the knee to Baal, even though Ahab and Jezebel were like wicked, wicked, wicked leaders. It's sort of like the United States. That we don't have to depend on the example of leaders. We can live holy, separated, God-honoring lives, no matter what is going on outside of us. Last reason here, turn over Hebrews chapter 11. It's not stated as explicitly as the other two, but I think you'll see the connection. Hebrews chapter 11, we call it the hall of faith, right? Talk about what's going on in the context of Hebrews. We have people who are Hebrews, like Hebrew Christians. And the time in history is winding down where soon Herod's temple, not Solomon's, remember that was gone, not the temple rebuilt after return, Zerubbabel's temple, that's gone. We now have Herod's temple, which is kind of like in between the glory of Solomon's and the less than glorious one. Remember when we looked at that in Ezra, the less than glorious one that was rebuilt after the exile. And that is a, a homing location for Jewish people because their temple worship under this time of the Gentiles, remember back in Daniel, we have Babylon, we have Medo-Persia, we have, we have Greece, and then we have Rome, and now we're under Rome. And Rome has learned some lessons. They, they work cooperatively to let there be a certain amount of self-rule within the religious community of the Jews in Jerusalem especially. Temples rebuilt, they institute sacrifice. But now we're in the new covenant. And God is saying to all those Jewish converts, yes, this is a place you can go back, and yes, it's a place that's dear to you, and yes, there are homing points for your spiritual walk that are understood. But they've been basically allowed to exist kind of as a security blanket, a place of, of consolation for people that were willing to use it as a house of prayer. But the time is coming because Jesus had predicted when he was in those last couple of weeks of his life, as he walked through the temple, he predicted, there's day coming, not one stone will be left upon another. This will be wiped out. And the book of Hebrews is written roughly about two years before that actually happened. The book of Hebrews is preparing these people to say, you need to go on to maturity. You cannot continue to go with the old forms any longer. It's just like when Israel had to decide whether they wanted to live under an invisible king, the God of all the heavens, or if they had to have a man. And of course, God ascended. He knew that was going to be a thing that they would want, and he accommodated that. But his heart was always to just be the one. And so here again, Jewish believers who understood all the foreshadowing that went along with the sacrificial system and had this sense of connectedness to Jerusalem, to the temple, to the old days, they have to get ready for that to be gone. And they really need to get out of Dodge is basically the message because you don't want to be around when the judgment comes. And so they're being encouraged in chapter 11 
to walk by faith and not by sight, right? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, men of old gained approval. They gained a testimony. Who's a testimony from? Well, yes, it's from their fellow men. It's from the recorders of history. It's also from God himself. That God looks down on people that walk by conviction even though they can't see all the answers, even though they don't have all the answers, even though their God is invisible to them. They move forward in obedience. And, you know, the definition we find, if you turn over to verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Those are two separate things. We can believe that he is. Israel believed that there is the God Jehovah. And in spite of repeated again and again and again and again, promises of blessing based on obedience and faithfulness, somehow their faith didn't extend to the fact that they could believe God could really reward them. That the outcomes of that obedience and faithfulness will really be God showering favor and blessing on them even though he promised them to do that. Do we often sometimes doubt God that he actually wants to show up in our lives the way he, that he says he wants to? That, that really, when we pray, it makes a difference? That when we stick our neck out and we make an attempt to befriend somebody or show kindness or share the gospel— that God actually is noticing that in that moment, and it matters a great deal to him? Because we are his representatives in this culture, this generation, this place right now. He's not coming back again right now to do that work. He's done his work. It's up to us. The Old Testament stories are there to model faith for us so that we don't quit but finish our leg of the race. We have things to accomplish yet. And that's why we go through this chapter, notice some profound things. We talk about some of the saints that show up in the book of Genesis. And notice verse 13, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them, having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things, make it clear, they are seeking a country of their own. Not a human one, verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That is a most profound statement, I think, of the Bible, that we as his followers, we have the opportunity for God to look at us and say, that's my boy. That's my daughter. Isn't that what it's saying? God's not ashamed to be called your God when we walk out in faith. Notice verse 24. We'll jump to the history part. Jump to Moses. When he had grown up, verse 24, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. 
Someday we're going to get to talk about the doctrine of rewards. It is a huge, huge thing. It's many times overlooked. And God meant for rewards to be an incentive for us to pursue him in his ways. How many of you are going to work tomorrow when your boss says there's no longer a paycheck? We're wired to want to be recognized for faithful work, right? That's built into us. We want return for our effort. And God does not diminish that. He, a matter of fact, works along with it. It's the fact that the reward that Moses was looking for demanded something we all try to teach our kids. And what is that? Delayed gratification. Delayed gratification. Yes, you can have that, but you can't have it now. That's why we need perseverance, right? That's why we need encouragement. Because it's hard to keep doing something when you don't see the payday for it. I love the rest of the chapter. Verse 31. By faith, here's we're picking up our history, right? Back in Joshua. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she welcomed the spies in peace. And what more shall we say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon and Barak, Samson, Jephthah, the judges, David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, Daniel, quenched the power of fire, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, David, put foreign armies to flight, Women received back their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, not accepting their release, in order that they might attain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings, scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with a sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, John the Baptist, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, Men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground, Jeremiah. Amazing faith. What drives people to do that? This is powerful. Most did not receive their reward during their earthly life. Matter of fact, that really blows up a lot of our thinking as Americans, isn't it? We think that there should be this necessary connection. I've just done something, therefore this should happen. All these people just died. Very painful deaths. They didn't, they didn't get in that life what they were hoping for. That's why the next two verses are important. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Because God had provided something better for us. So that apart from us, they should not be made complete. If they got the reward in their time, what about us Gentiles? That history was waiting on for Christ to come. For Christ to, to rip that veil in two and to allow us to enter in who were far from him. They are waiting on us for the reward. And that's why chapter 12 is so encouraging. 
Therefore, since we have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Stop right there. A great cloud of witnesses. What's the picture? We're in the Olympic Stadium. It's a relay race. These great heroes of the faith that we've looked at, they had their leg to run. They had their part to play. They handed the baton to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation, and now it's come to us. And we recently have some new witnesses. You know, we have Herschel Mardine, and we have Paul Schickel, and we have maybe your grandparent, maybe your parent. They're now part of the cloud of witnesses. Their course is done. And now it's in our hand. And if we're going to finish the race well, we need to have the encouragement of realizing all these people are there cheering for us. They want us to finish well, to be faithful. Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The, the outcome is already guaranteed. The question is, how much will we be blessed by having participated? And all the stories of the Old Testament are there to tell us, we know what it's like where you are. My wife and I are talking this week about what... What Second Peter talks about, Lot. I mean, we don't think about Lot being a great guy. But Second Peter says, Lot's righteous soul was tormented day after day, living in Sodom and Gomorrah. We should have some encouragement from that. Because that's where we live right now, isn't it? With all the transgenderism, all being shoved down our throat, and all this stuff. Where people want to destroy the image of God point their finger in his face and say, I don't care what you said about being fruitful and multiplying and filling your word. This is an agenda to not fill the earth and be obedient to the creational command. And it's tormenting, isn't it? But we need to have encouragement. Our reward and theirs is tied together. One day we will share a reward that we're all waiting for a reward where we fellowship together with these saints of old in a millennial kingdom. Where they have their responsibilities and purposes, we have ours, but we fellowship together. There's one more I didn't put in because we've covered it before. Write down 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17. The Old Testament scriptures are there to make us wise to salvation and to equip us to every good work. When Paul says all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for doctrine and reproof for all these things, there was no written canon of the New Testament yet. He's pointing to the Old Testament, isn't he? These things that were written before, as he's mentioned, they're looking at the Old Testament as a treasure to help them grow forward in their sanctification, their holiness, and their maturity. Yes, there are other writings that were being circulated. I'm not diminishing that. But they had not yet all been collected. We'll talk about that when we get to the topic of canonicity. Some applications. Let me close. The philosopher George Santa Anna says, Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. 
we should care about history, especially the spiritual history that, that basically we're the, answer, we're, we're the descendants of. There are surely a great many things in Israel's history that we do not want ever, ever to repeat, right? We do not want to repeat them. We do not want to take the same chastening they took because we didn't pay attention to the warnings and the, and the bad examples. Second, there are people and their experience that leave examples and practices that are a blessing for us to repeat and emulate. They are a blessing. They are guidance for us to, to go this direction. I mean, years ago, I was a 32-year-old pastor. Our church had split, and now I'm the guy. I'll tell you what, I, I went to hang on the book of Nehemiah because I wanted to learn how to lead people that have been through brokenness. That was real to me. And we can draw that kind of encouragement and strength out of what people have done before us. And we should. Finally, Israel's history is even more so God's history of faithfulness to his promises to a people. Over and over again said, just do this, and this I promise will happen. He also promised the negative consequences, and those truly came true, didn't they? Although these people were wayward and erring, they are still the apple of God's eye. God has not given up on Israel. And we know when we get into the prophets, they have a future and a blessing and a restoration yet to come. We should be encouraged. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are grateful, so grateful, that you decided to put the scriptures together in such a way that it's very practical to us. It informs us. It gives us a true sense of your involvement sovereignly, especially in the workings of your people Israel, as you called them out by name, as you raised them up, nurtured them up, blessed them, give them meaningful, purposeful uh, work to do and to become. And even in your patience as a father, you, you drew them back, you restored them, you showed your favor, and you allow them to endure even to this day. Thank you so much for lessons that we learned from the study of Israel's history, how practical it is for us today. Help us to take these things to heart, we pray in Christ's name.